Good morning. You're listening to The Bible Line with your host, Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church. Dr. Brogy is ready to take your calls. If you have any questions regarding the Bible or how it applies to your life, give us a call right now. Our lines are open at area code 843-525-1859 or email us at tbl at wagp.net. Now, Here's Dr. Carl Brogy. Study and show yourself approved of God as a workman who is not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Again, we welcome you to the Bible line. As always, it's good to be here. And if you have a particular question as you've been studying God's word or a challenge that you've uh, had in your life or ministry that you'd like biblical counsel on, well, if we can help by the grace of God, we will. All you need to do is pick up the phone, call us locally. Again, the phone numbers are 525-1859. We have a toll-free number for those outside the immediate area or those listening through the Internet in other states, and that number is 877, the call letters of our radio station, WAGP 980. Or, as always, uh, we take email directly here into the studio, and the email address uh, to Rick's screen in front of him is tbl for the Bible line at net. When you call, you can remain anonymous. Uh, You can dictate your question or go on the air live. We'd be happy to receive it however you would like to give it. Rick, as always, it's good to be here today, and um, glad glad we can open God's Word together. Indeed it is, Pastor. We've had a number of uh, questions that have come in over the last couple of days, so uh, let's go to them right now. Um, Don't forget, if you have a question, you can go ahead and call us at 525-1859. That's 525-1859. Uh, 1859. And I'm uh, trying to bring up those questions now. We're having some technical difficulties with our uh, computers, but uh, I think we've got them now. So um, uh, this call uh, came in, actually, an email. The person writes, I have friends that believe the original sin was adultery and Cain was the fruit of this act. Could one be a Christian and believe such? Well, I suppose they could, but a certainly a confused Christian, and it's uh, not a new doctrine. Uh, it's uh, been packaged in different ways as early as the early church with the Gnostics, uh, who basically said that uh, Eve had a sexual relationship with Adam. Uh, excuse me, that Eve had a sexual relationship with uh, the devil. It's called the serpent of seed doctrine. And uh, because of that, she had an offspring, which is described uh, in their theology as ungodly. Then she had a sexual relationship, it's argued, with Adam. Uh, So it's called the Serpent of the Seed Doctrine. It's been packaged by different people in different ways. But in the 20th century, there was a gentleman by the name of William Brenham, who we've discussed before here on the Bible line, who I suppose uh, popularized it in this century. Uh, What he did that was a little bit different from some of the other folks is he was a Pentecostal preacher slash healer, and so that in and of itself uh, brought fairly large crowds, sometimes uh, thousands and thousands of people. And uh, William Brennan, most people believe, is a false prophet. I would agree firmly with that. I think he was a phony, a fake, um, that he was lost, uh, that he was a false prophet, denied major doctrines of the Christian faith, obviously uh, didn't have a mind to understand the things of God, or he never would have come up or or really espoused to the serpent of the seed doctrine. Um, Again, there are many problems with it. A text that they use is based out of the King James Version of the Bible, uh, where uh, God comes to Eve and 
in Genesis 3, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The old English said the serpent beguiled me. Uh, The word beguile in 1611 meant deceived. With time, the word became synonymous with the term seduce. So they said, well, the the woman, uh, the, the serpent seduced me. In other words, we had a sexual relationship together. Well, the Hebrew word means deceived, and the Greek word means the same. And so when Paul uh, looks back on this event in the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, he talks about how we shouldn't be led astray from the simplicity of devotion to Christ, you know, and not be deceived like Eve had been deceived. And so, again, the word there just means, you know, deception. She was lied to and she bought into the lie. It has absolutely nothing to do with with sex. So they basically argue that Cain's offspring is an ungodly offspring. And uh, they take the passage in, let's see, Genesis 4 and verse 1. Now, the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she gave birth to Cain. And then she said, Eve said, I've gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. Now, that seems pretty uh, straightforward that uh, she had relations with her husband and she got a man child with the help of the Lord. Well, again, what you have to do is you have to metaphorically interpret things in the in the word of God. You have to spiritualize them. And so men like William Branham and others uh, spiritualize so much of the Bible to uh, fit their interpretation. Uh, They would take verses like, um, let me see, I think it's in uh, Proverbs. Let me find it here real fast. Uh, In Proverbs, uh, yeah, here it is, 30, 20. Uh, This is a text they would often use. This is the way of an adulterous woman. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I have done nothing wrong. Now, it is true that there are times in the Word of God where sex is uh, is described in relatively veiled terms, at least not terms that we would use today. And I don't think they're necessarily veiled terms. I think they're just different terms and appropriate terms that God uses when God says Adam knew his wife. Well, again, it, he had sexual intercourse with her. Um, and so... They take this verse in Proverbs uh, 30 and uh, verse 20, and they say, well, you know, this is metaphorical. Well, it's not metaphorical. He, he's just describing that there are some women who are so casual in their sexual relationships with men that it's no different than eating a meal. Uh, that, that's all he's saying. And again, I think that's the way most people have understood that historically. But um, again, uh, it's interesting to, to see the history of this doctrine. Uh, it was condemned as heresy, if I remember from my anthropology course in the third century. Uh, it was again revived in the ninth century by uh, one small rabbinical school. But again, in the 20th century, it was William Branham who, for the most part, largely taught uh, this particular false heresy. Uh, they argue that uh, not only was the offspring of Cain different from the offspring that Abel's line gave, because Cain, they say,'s offspring was demonic. Uh, they they try to build it through other verses. Uh, Cain brought the fruit of his hands, uh, where Abel uh, brought the 
um, you know, the, from his flock, and they would say, well, Adam was given charge over the animals, and, and the devil had charge of the garden. So Cain, obviously, as identified with, with Satan, and Abel is identified with, with Adam. It's ridiculous. Adam was given authority over the whole of the creation, uh, not just the animals, though indeed he did name the animals. Uh, they they take verses like First um, John three and let me just look there real fast because I don't want to misquote it. First John chapter three, and he he makes this statement. John in First John three twelve, for this is the message which you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another, not as Cain, who is of the evil one, and slew his brother. So they say, there you have it again. You know, Cain is of the evil one. That is, he's a physical descendant of Abraham. Again, the plain reading of Scripture doesn't indicate that. Uh, He's talking that he's identified with Satan. Why? Because he was lost. Uh, Cain denied the need and sufficiency of a blood atonement, unlike his brother Abel, who believed what God had revealed. And so, again, they, they're using these verses, and they're using them grossly out of context. Uh, they'll uh, take John 8, and there are different schools of the seed of the serpent. Uh, we had a question here on the Bible line about a year ago about British uh, Anglic- Anglican Israelism, uh, British Israelism. Someone had asked about a year ago, and they wanted to know what that was. Well, the British Israelism comes from the seed of the serpent. Uh, They just uh, put a little different twist on it, and they argue that the Jewish people who are in Israel today are not true Jews, but the true Jews are actually the descendants um, of the lost tribes of of Israel and uh, the lost 10 tribes, as they would describe it, and today uh, it's represented in the British people. Ironically, when a king or queen in England is uh, coronated, they take out a rock. And we haven't seen this in a long time because uh, what Rick, the queen, she's celebrating her 60th uh, anniversary, if I remember. Uh, this is the 60th anniversary, and they're, you know, waving that flag, and rightly so, she's served faithfully. So we haven't seen a, a new king or queen, you know, ordained in a long time in, in that great country, one of our allies. But they have a rock they bring out during the ordination. And it's supposedly the rock that Jacob laid his head on when he used it as a pillow out there in the wilderness. And so, um, and again, this goes back to British Israel, is, Israelism, as they call it. And they say that the real true Jewish people are the British folks. And again, there's a lot of different spins on this. Um, it's become the basis for um, racism in an, a number of different circles in the 19th and the 20th century that the descendants of Cain were not, uh, were, were basically black people and uh, the descendants of Seth were you know, the British people. And, and there's all kinds of little plays and twists on it. But again, it, it, it contradicts the plain reading of scripture. No one could come up with that on their own. And so if you start with this premise that uh, the descendants of Cain are the byproduct of a sexual relationship that Eve had with the devil, then it's going to color and distort all of your thinking. You know, God wishes for none to perish, but all to come to repentance. He says in Second Peter 3.9, he doesn't say everyone but the, the children of Cain. 
Uh, and in Galatians 3.28, when God mentions various groups of people, uh, there's uh, an equal standing that people have before God, be they slave or free or Jew or Greek or male or female. And he doesn't, you know, eliminate anyone from that list. So it's just a, it's a doctrine that's filled with folly, with uh, poor biblical exegesis. There's no record anywhere of any Jew ever holding it. Uh, during the 1,500 years that they had the Old Testament until the time of Christ. None of the church fathers held it. Again, there was a a heretical group called Gnostics that uh, taught a a form of it, and it was condemned quickly as heresy. Uh, William Brennan, who denied the Branham, who denied the doctrine of the Trinity, he taught it. Uh, but he had all kinds of weird doctrines. So can a person be a Christian and espouse this? Well, yes and no. There are people who are saved out of confusing backgrounds with some bad doctrine. And somewhere along the line, they hear the plan of salvation. But it's very similar to the question that was asked uh, the last time we met here for the Bible line. Could someone be a oneness Pentecostal and be considered a true believer? And, of course, we we illustrated uh, uh, with T.D. Jakes, who, you know, is an interesting fellow. You know, he's a oneness Pentecostal, denies the doctrine of the Trinity. He teaches modalism. The Father becomes the Son. At different times, the Son becomes the Father, and the Father becomes the Spirit, and the Spirit becomes the Son that God takes on different modes. And, again, most of the time when you meet people like this, and oneness Pentecostalism, you know, was rooted in all kinds of other historical theological error, uh, they're often confused on the most important thing, namely the plan of salvation. But I think if someone does understand the plan of salvation, truly receives Christ as their Lord and their Savior, they will, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, receive the mind of Christ. And when you receive the mind of Christ, you have the ability to understand uh, the truth that God has given us in the Holy Scripture. And if you don't espouse to that, then I would say, you know, I would really question whether or not your conversion is true. It, it would be much like someone who, um, you know, people say, well, do you have to believe in the virgin birth to be counted as a true Christian? I would say, well, yes and no. You know, there's uh, eight and nine-year-old children in our church who are born again. And if you ask them what a virgin was, they probably wouldn't be able to tell you. Um, so they're not really clear on what we mean by a virgin conception and a virgin birth, but because they've been regenerated by the Spirit, they have the mind of Christ. And when they learn what the Bible says about the virgin conception, they embrace it, they believe it. So if someone's in confusion for a long period of time over this doctrine, I think it's probably proof positive that they've never really met Christ as their Lord and Savior Because God, the Holy Spirit, who's our helper, who's our teacher, who leads us and guides us into all the truth, such that John can say, you have no need of anyone to teach you. You have an anointing. Now, John is teaching that when he says that. But his point is, is that when teachers speak, there is a um, agreement in your spirit, in your heart that, yeah, that's true, that that's right, that's correct. And uh, and you're able to... to embrace it as such. It's a good question. It's a very involved question. We could spend a lot of time on it, but um, I hope that helps and we'll get you started. All right, 525-1859, toll-free, 877-924-7980, or email us at tbl 
at WAGP.net. And uh, speaking of William Branham, our next listener writes, I recently left a church that follows the teachings of William Branham, in which I still have many friends and family. I have talked to family members and the pastor about some of the teachings, trying my best to show the error of many of their beliefs, but to no avail. It has been very difficult to watch people I care about deeply disregard clear scriptural teaching. Do you have any advice you could give me to further help these people? Well, again, um, you know, I know there's a church in town that embraces his doctrine, and, and a number of the people I've met from that church, some are very sincere and searching. And a number of them were really confused that I've met just on what it means to be saved by grace. And so, again, until someone comes and embraces salvation by grace alone through faith alone, that good works cannot save, they cannot even help save, that it is only through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ plus nothing uh, that we are born again, then they don't have the mind of Christ. And all the convincing in the world probably will fall on deaf ears. Why? Because as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.14, a natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually appraised. Apart from God giving us insight into the gospel, uh, you know, people who are lost really can't embrace spiritual truth. It's like asking a blind man to evaluate an art contest or a deaf man to judge a music recital. They don't have the equipment until they're born from above. And so there's a good chance that you're trying to convince people who have never really even been saved. And so I would step back and ask some more important questions to see if they really understand grace and what it means to be saved by grace alone through faith alone. Uh, because it may surprise you uh, that they, they, they really don't have a handle on this. But again, let's just say for the sake of argument that they have found Christ. You know, I would say to them, look, if it's new, it's not true. And none of the, you know, I mean, listen, if, if Adam, if the fall of Adam was not an act of disobedience, namely him, you know, partaking in the fruit, but some sexual sin, um, intercourse with his wife, which is not sin, it's something that God sanctioned and fought up and installed the plumbing to create, uh, if that was the sin, the original sin, as William Brandon and other heretics have taught, then you you think you'd find that somewhere in the Bible just plainly stated, wouldn't you? Uh, but it's not. And, and, and no Jew uh, ever understood that. Um, none of God's people in the Old Covenant understood this sin of Adam to be that kind of sin. Uh, none of the church fathers understood the apostles to teach that. None of the Protestant reformers understood that. Again, there's one small group of Gnostics who, who taught that. And, you know, Gnostics also denied all other kinds of, you know, doctrines of, of Christianity that they should have espoused. So again, if it's new, it's, it's not true. But if you, if you start with that premise and you read the scriptures through that lens, you, you're going to come up with a, a distorted theology. And again, sometimes you can help people like this, if, if they're following a guy like William Branham and say, well, what other doctrines does he teach? And if you can find one doctrine that you can maybe find some common ground on where they see, oh yeah, he definitely denied this major doctrine of Christianity, then you can begin to create some, 
some doubt. Well, maybe if he was wrong on this, uh, which you agree on, there's some other things he could be wrong on. This is what I do often with Mormons and Jehovah's Witness. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find, you know, um, a point where what they say and what the Bible says is definitely different. And it depends how committed a Mormon they are. But the Book of Mormon, which, you know, has 17 books in it. There's a book within the Book of Mormon called the Book of Alma. And I think it's chapter 7, maybe chapter 8 in the Book of Alma. It says that Jesus Christ was born in Jerusalem. That's what the Book of Mormon says. Well, you know, the Bible says he was born in Bethlehem. The Old Testament prophet predicted it in Micah 6. And the New Testament gospel writers affirm that. Well, they both can't be right. Uh, The Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross, that darkness fell upon the earth for three hours. The Book of Mormon says that darkness fell upon the earth for three days. Uh, They both can't be right. So sometimes if you can find some point where they say, oh, yeah, you know, um, this is definitely different from the Bible, then you can begin to create some... You know, consternation, and God can use that to create some doubt that they've bought a bill of goods that just are not true and is not accurate. All right, good question. Let's go to the next one. 525-1859, toll-free, 877-924-7980, or email us at tbl at net. And Roger emailed us, I heard you use the term totally depraved a number of times. This term originated with Calvinism as in, and is in the T in TULIP. In the acronym TULIP, if we're totally depraved, how does he explain that God called Lot a righteous man or that uh, Noah was perfect in his day or that David was a man after God's own heart? And I could go on and on, he writes. Well, my, um, your question, I think, is is a good one, but I don't think you have a handle on even what those who would differ with you um teach uh the doctrine of total depravity is a doctrine not that says that man is as bad as he can be but that man is as bad off as he can be that every aspect of man intellectually spiritually physically has been tainted by sin uh so when paul uh sums up his uh argument that all men are guilty and in need of a Savior, having arraigned every segment of society, he brings the whole world together, and, and he says, as it's written, and he quotes the Old Testament, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become useless. Uh, there is none who does good. There's not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of apps is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. In the path of peace, have they not known there is no fear of God before their eyes? That's a good summary of what we mean by the depravity of man. Um, In Romans 1, Paul speaks of those whom God gave over to a depraved mind. Uh, the word depraved is uh, the Greek word dokimos with the uh, prefix alpha in front of it. Dokimos is a Greek word that means to be tested and approved. When you put the alpha in front of it, just like in English, you have the word millennium, which means thousand, 
amillennium means, well, there is no thousand-year reign. So we speak of amillennialism. So uh, we speak of something that's moral or something that's amoral. Same in Greek, and that's really where we got the thought from a lot of English concepts linguistically come from Greek into Latin and then on into English. And so adakimos means something that was tested and found not approved. It's depraved. God gave them over to a depraved mind. And so, one, I think you're confusing, too, what Noah and David and Lot were by grace and what they were by nature. By nature, David was depraved. He himself affirmed that in Psalm 51.5. He said, in sin did my mother conceive me. He argued that from the moment of conception, he was a depraved person, that he was a sinful man, that he, he suffered the consequences of Adam's fall. Uh, very often when people have a, a problem, you know, with the fallen nature of man, they've, they've adopted some other mindset. And, you know, we speak of original sin, and it's been understood in different ways and defined in different fashions by different people in the history of the church. But when you take all the air out of the balloon, there, there's basically three positions that people have held concerning our connection to Adam. Some like Augustine and later affirmed by Luther and Calvin and Shad and probably most Baptists and evangelicals today hold to the Augustinian view of, of the fall, that um, man's connection to Adam was physical, that when Adam sinned, all sinned, and therefore we inherit um, the sinful fallen nature of Adam. In Adam, uh, we sinned, and you see many uh, passages in the Bible that affirm what we would call the solidarity or the connectiveness of the race, such that Levi could pay tithes to, uh, through Abraham. Levi lives some 200 years after Abraham. He's the great-grandson of Abraham. But nonetheless, he, he paid tithes. Well, how so? Because he was in the loins of Abraham, Hebrews 7 teaches. I believe the whole human race were in the loins of of uh, of Adam, such that when Adam sinned, all sinned. Uh, there's some other ways that people have described the fall of man. Uh, there's the Federalist point of view that basically says, well, uh, the word federal means covenant, and uh, they argue that Adam was, in essence, uh, the representative of a covenant, and that he represented the human race, and therefore we inherit the sinful nature of uh, of Adam. Uh, you end up in the same place, just a, a different view as to how it comes about. But apart from that, so so there's those who say, well, we're physically connected to the race. There's those who say, well, Adam was representatively connected to the race. And then there are those who, like Pelagius, argued, well, there's no physical connection or representative connection to the race. And Pelagius said, well, Adam's sin didn't affect you. It didn't affect me. Uh, that Adam was a bad example, but we didn't sin in and with Adam. And he really distorted his exegesis of Romans 5 and verse 12, which becomes a major uh, verse of, of controversy between Pelagius and, and um, uh, others who, who differed with him. So Pelagius said that man was born innocent, that he was born without a sin nature, 
and that Adam was a bad example, and people have followed that bad example, but that Adam's sin had absolutely no effect on us. He, of course, was deemed a heretic. He also taught that a man was saved by his own human works, and the Pelagius point of view today is held in the Unitarian Church. Uh, then there's uh, semi-Pelagianism, which said, well, we can't accept uh, Calvin and Augustine's and Luther's point of view on depravity, that man has uh, you know, no ability in himself to come to God, um, but neither can we accept Pelagius's view. And so Roman Catholicism is semi-Pelagius. They say, well, man has a spark left in him, and he uh, is affected by Adam's sin, but not totally affected. affected. And so they deny the doctrine of total depravity. And then there's a third camp within those who say we're not physically connected to Adam, and that was Jacobus Arminius' point of view. Um, So again, historically, theologically, biblically, Um, the Bible teaches that man is dead in his trespasses and sins. Next time you're in a funeral home, stand over the coffin and ask the man who has his suit on to adjust his tie. Well, you'll be wasting your breath because he has no ability to adjust his tie. He's dead in sin, which means that God must be the first mover. Now, some argue differently how God does that. Some say we're regenerated by the Spirit and then we believe. I don't believe that. I think regeneration happens at the moment of conversion. But again, those who believe in total depravity equally teach whether regeneration happens at the moment of conversion or before that God has to be the first mover, that no one comes to the Father unless the Father first draws him that God has to awaken a dead heart to see and understand the truth of the gospel. Um, So when you mentioned righteous Lot, Lot wasn't righteous because he wasn't a sinner. He was a big sinner. He made some very foolish decisions. But Lot, nonetheless, who inherited Adam's sin just as you did, was righteous because of his faith. David committed adultery. He committed multiple murders. Not only did he kill Uriah the Hittite, he was also responsible for a number of Uriah's men dying because of the orders that he gave. So he's really guilty of multiple murder. But David, as Paul argues in Romans 4, was not saved by works. He was saved by the grace of God. And so he became a man after God's own heart. It doesn't mean that he was sinless, but the direction of David's life changed. Noah wasn't by nature, you know, uh, a, a righteous man. He was a sinner like you, like me. Some of his sin is recorded in the scripture. But he found favor. In the, the Hebrew word is translated in the King James, he found grace with the Lord. And that's really how the word is used throughout the Old Testament. He found undeserved favor with the Lord. Um, God was gracious to him. And, uh, and Noah believed in the Lord and and God would have uh, imputed his righteousness to him as he did to Abraham or anyone else who believes. 525-1859, toll free, 877-WAGP980, or email us at tbl at net. The next person writes, I heard someone claim that one of the gospel books was originally written in Hebrew. Have you ever heard of this? And is there any manuscript evidence for this claim? It was not originally written in Hebrew, no. 
it was written in Greek, with the exception of a couple sentences in the New Testament that are in Aramaic. God inspired the New Testament text in Greek. And yes, all the manuscript evidence is in reference to Greek. But there were other translations that were done later on in Syriac and Latin. In fact, there is a Hebrew translation of the New Testament that many uh, Hebrew people who are believers in the Lord Jesus uh, read. So when I was in Israel last year, um, our, our, our tour guide had a copy of the New Testament in Hebrew. Why? Because that was his, that's his native tongue. That's what he reads. And he wanted to be able to, you know, read the Bible in his own language. And so he had a Hebrew translation. But no, there was no uh, translation in other languages until after the Bible was completed. God inspired the New Testament in Greek. Nobody debates that. That's, that's not even a subject for debate. It's not like, well, there's three views on it, or nobody questions that, secular or, 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 or Bible-believing Christians. Uh, there's a unanimous voice there in terms of how God gave the Scriptures, in terms of what language uh, they, they were written in. But I appreciate the question. I'm glad you asked it. All right, 525-1859, toll-free, 877-924-7980. And um, uh, you can also uh, email us at tbl at wagp.net. Do you have any questions uh, over there, Pastor? Yeah, actually a number of questions came in to search the scriptures and just haven't had a chance to answer them, but I will do my best to, uh, to, to respond to those. And, and, and people, uh, if you haven't been to um, our uh, website, searchthescriptures.org, uh, it's a great tool. Um, it's, a, it's an opportunity for uh, God's people to uh, find a lot of resources that I think will be very helpful to you in terms of your, your spiritual growth. So um, if you've never been to searchthescriptures.org, uh, there's some tools there. I was just talking to someone the other day, Rick, and they were asking me about their spiritual gift and how to find it. And I just asked them, well, have you, have you taken the spiritual gifts course? And they said, well, what spiritual gifts course? I said, well, we, we have one at searchthescriptures.org. I said, it's 128 questions. And if you fill it out, I said, the computer will score you and potentially give you a starting place in terms of uh, how, to, how, how, to find, uh, how to find an answer. So anyway, I'm going to leave the air right now. I've got a lot to do today, but it's been great to be with you guys. And uh, Lord bless you. And uh, come join us tomorrow night. Very special musical at Community Bible Church. God bless you. Like heaven when they're done. Not when I join with.
Yeah. 